another episode of the College Neuro Network, a podcast series part of Simply Neurosciences, The Synapse. My name is Anamika. And my name is Lena, and we're your hosts for today. The College Neuro Network has discussions with undergraduate students and professors in order to gain insight into the neuroscience departments of and opportunities within the nation's top universities. Today's episode is focused on Brown University, a world-renowned Ivy League research university in Providence, Rhode Island, that emphasizes the opportunity it provides students to design their own academic journeys. With its signature open curriculum, collaborative atmosphere, and commitment to the undergraduate experience, Brown ranks number 14 in the national universities by the U.S. News and World Report. Today, joining us is Dr. Lipscomb, Director of the Kearney Institute of Brain Science and a professor at Brown. Thank you so much for joining us today to discuss your experiences at Brown. You are very welcome. So to begin, can you please briefly introduce yourself and share what sparked your interest in neuroscience, as well as any other fields given the interdisciplinary nature of neuroscience? Well, as you said, I'm a neuroscientist at Brown, and I'm in the Department of Neuroscience. You know, I've been at Brown for about 30 years, close to. And in terms of why I chose neuroscience, if I go way back, I wanted to be a detective. I didn't know that professors existed. I didn't know that I could do what I do and be surrounded by really wonderful students. And voila, here I am. And uh, I guess I got my wish. I really found my passion. In terms of entering neuroscience, I I think I got really um, fascinated by neuroscience when I was doing my PhD which was in London. And there I was studying ion channels. And these are proteins in the membrane of all cells. In the nervous system, they just underlie all electrical communication. And clearly, that's fundamental to the nervous system. And I just became totally fascinated by those proteins. And then some of the very basic questions in neuroscience that remained unanswered. Yeah, that's really interesting. So now we're going to move on to Brown University as a whole. We were wondering, in your opinion, as both a director and professor, what factors distinguish Brown University from other institutions, and did you decide to work there? Wow, Brown. Um, well, I clearly love the place. It's just such a collegial place. I've been here a long time. I feel that it just keeps showing me new things, and I, I'm just really delighted and continue to be delighted about what the university kind of delivers for 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 me as a faculty member but also for students and i would sum it up by saying that the yeah the collegiality the intense passion that people have at brown for learning but also this sense of of their place in the world and i and i love that balance it's important to me. The faculty here, if we just think about faculty and why I love what I do, there's again, combined with the passion of, of driving and building new knowledge and discovering new things, there's also the sense of responsibility to pass on what we know to the next generation, also learn from the next generation. Like I, I just find the atmosphere um, and that, that connection to the undergraduates at Brown just so invigorating. So I, I love that. And I think, again, like the university tells you and asks you and asks every one of us from undergraduates all the way through to faculty, you know, use your privilege and use your skills to make the world a better place. And I, and I feel that that is brown and that really comes through. And there's not this sense of, of um, hierarchy. It's very much you're part of the team, undergraduates and graduate students and faculty and postdocs working together to solve a problem and, and being equal members of, of the research team. I think that's what I love about Brown. It seems like such a great environment to be in, and I love how everyone is so encouraging, it seems. So more specifically, what would you say sets Brown's neuroscience department apart from that of other schools? Well, you know, Brown is certainly one of the first neuroscience 
departments in the world. And that, that those deep, deep roots that neuroscience has at Brown and particularly, you know, from the neuroscience department, it just permeates everything. And there's such a deep, deep understanding of the nervous system, neuroscience in, in the broader sense, but also deep, deep understanding of particular topics. So, so I like the breadth and the depth within the department. Again, I come back to collegiality. The neuroscience department, it's a great department. My colleagues are fantastic. We help each other. We work together. We work together to solve problems. You know, I know I can go to one of my colleagues and say, like, I, I just need your time and I need, I need to solve this problem. And if it's not, even if it's not directly in terms of what they need to do that particular day, they'll, they'll give up their time to really help. And I find that also to be this critical aspect of the department that I think permeates all levels. And so I think that's also true at the undergraduate level. And as I said, for graduate students, you will come to the open curriculum. We're going to talk about that. But I do want to mention it in terms of the influence of that thinking, that absence of division among different disciplines. It's really like the problem, the question drive what we do. And if you're in a different department, that doesn't matter, you know, if you can help brainstorm or think about solving a problem. And that's really, in some sense, the open curriculum is much more or less, what are the questions and, and, and what is your mission? And let's think about how you put together a set of courses to, to really have them maximize your time at Brown and maximize your learning and maximize your scholarship. I feel that that permeates to the faculty level as well. And so this captures the essence of the department, of course, captures the essence of neuroscience. Neuroscience is such a, a discipline that requires multi-level investigation, a lot of different techniques, a lot of different approaches to thinking about the nervous system from genes through to cognition. That environment fits so beautifully well with neuroscience. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I like how Brown seems to be a place where you can combine your interests in other fields and bring that along with neuroscience to enhance yep. your understanding of it. Yep. So now talking about the Kearney Institute of Brain Science, we found that a lot of students tend not to know what the Kearney Institute is. So we were wondering if you could describe to our listeners what it is, what you guys have been working on, and how can students get, really get involved with the Institute? Mm. Yeah, the, so the Institute is a research institute. And so basically our mission is, and what we try to do is to make Brown the best place to do neuroscience, brain science research, and, and whatever that takes. <laughs> we work very closely together with a whole bunch of different departments, maybe 20 different departments, over 100 uh, labs, faculty. So we cut across clinical faculty, you know, who are right at patient's bedside all the way through to faculty in molecular biology, cell biology, who are interested in, you know, the genes that perhaps underlie autism, for example. And so the Institute involves a whole number of different departments and faculty. We include in that mathematics, computer science, engineering, all of those uh, skills and all of those disciplines that are really, really have to come to bear to, to solve some of the big big unanswered questions about how does our brain work? What happens when it goes wrong? How do we fix it? So that's really what the Institute is and what it does. What we do in a more direct sense is we fund um, undergraduates to do summer research in various labs. We fund graduate students to explore areas that they may not have been able to do when they did their coursework. So it's kind of this additional uh, ability so essentially, we do things that individual departments can't do particularly well. 
But if we integrate the needs of multiple departments and multiple students, then we aim to help in terms of the research associated with, with those needs. I can give you a couple of other examples. We hire faculty. We just did a couple of really wonderful recruitments and the faculty that get hired through the institute sit in individual departments. And, and that's kind of why people may not know about the institute until you become engaged in the institute because we really are working very, very, very closely together with, with individual departments. So could you share a little bit more about Carney Conversations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go online, we have a pretty good web presence. <laughs> and one of the things that we did, as many people are doing during this, you know, really tough time, we really miss being together as colleagues and brainstorming together. And so my dear friend uh, and colleague, Chris Moore, and I decided that we would just engage in conversations with people that that we know that we'd love to hear about more. There's no defined target for a particular conversation. So we connected with a Brown alum. I think that might have been the first one, um, Stefan McDonough. And he talked about what's the process of discovery? How, how, how do you innovate? You know, what does that mean? He he's works in the pharmaceutical industry and he's a Brown alum. We taught recently to a colleague who, uh, Oriel Feldman Hall, who's a cognitive neuroscientist, and she did a recent study on people's behavior during the COVID crisis. We spoke with Gilad Barnea and Alex Fleischman about what is this when people lose their sense of smell when they have uh, COVID infection. So we're linking current events to neuroscience and brain science but talking to our colleagues in a pretty open back and forth question format. So they're all recorded and they're all on our website. If one wants to go check those out, we plan to continue. So if people have ideas about what we should be doing, then let us know. And we were just wondering, just as more of a fun question, what was the most interesting research project you've seen with your work at the Kearney Institute? Oh, gosh, it's always very difficult when you ask me to pick. <laughs> Let's see. I'll pick one example. So this is our colleague Gilad Barnea. And Gilad has been very interested for many, many years in finding ways to map the circuits in the brain that, you know, code for underlie encode behavior. And he's worked in the olfactory system. So how do we discriminate smells and, and perceive smells? He he, for many, many, many years, worked on a method to be able to essentially um, combine genetics with a, with a fluorescent marker to be able to just light up those circuits that define olfaction in the brain. And I think as everybody who's listening to this podcast will know, there aren't nicely fluorescing cells <laughs> uh, naturally to go in and say, ah, that's that, that circuit's used for decision-making and this other circuit is used for vision. And, you know, so, so we don't know. Um, and so he built and developed over the years a method called, he calls trans-tango, meaning that there has to be two to tango, a presynaptic and postsynaptic side of, of the synapse. And he built a really wonderful methodology to be able to light up those circuits that drive a particular behavior and in this particular case it was uh, olfunction but he's now that spawned a huge number of collaborations with with Gilad both within Brown and outside of Brown and so yeah, I think that that was that's one example that I would say is very exciting incredibly important methodology uh, and something that he was able to do with 
the collaborations of undergraduates and graduate students in his lab, which was also very exciting. Yeah, all of that sounds so interesting, and I love how you guys all hit so many different topics at once. Kind of transitioning back to neuroscience at Brown specifically, how has your experience been as a neuroscience professor at Brown, and specifically, what do your teaching responsibilities look like? And how are neuroscience classes at Brown structured? So my experience as um, a professor at Brown, of course it's great. <laughs> Let me give you you know, a few examples. When I started out um, at Brown, brand new assistant professor, I was contacted by a group of women undergraduates and they said, would you be willing to be the advisor for the neuroscience women in science and engineering group? I said, sure. That was so much fun. And one of the people who um, started that, Melanie Leitner, uh, we continue to work together. I mean, it's just incredible. She and I worked together, what was that, in 1993, I think, maybe 92, I don't remember. <laughs> so that was one of my first experiences at Brown. And I thought, wow, this is so great. Like, I've got this immediate connection to the undergraduates. You know, they're motivated. It's fun. It was great. So I continued to do that for a while, and then other women were recruited, <laughs> and uh, other women have taken over. But I—that was one of the early experiences. I've, we always, we all of us, um, do advising as well as teaching. So I know you asked me about teaching, but I just feel that that's one piece of what we do as professors. We also do, you know, one-on-one -on -one advising. Um, to bring us up to the current day, I, uh, last year I was a first year advisor for a group of students. Some are actually doing neuroscience, but, but it doesn't matter. It's just advising first years. Um, and, you know, we had a good time when we could get together and have dinner together. <laughs> Remember those days? Um, so we did that. And I'm continuing on as the, their second year advisor. And so, as I said, they have a diverse set of interests that um, we connect. Um, and I talk to them as much as they, they need to get advice from me. But within neuroscience, yeah, I first started teaching a second year, primarily second year course. But again, you can't really say that at Brown because... It, there could be first years taking it and there could be seniors taking the class. But on average, in general, the majority of the students who took that class were second years. So they'd done an introduction to neuroscience and then I was doing the second level neuroscience class. And I taught and continue to teach at various different courses. Uh, what's the ionic basis of excitability in the nervous system? Ion channels, which is one of the things that I mentioned, got me into neuroscience. And so I talk about what those proteins are, how they carry ions, how they can select for calcium over sodium ions. It's just really incredible what these little proteins do. And so we talk a lot about that. And then, and then we move into talking about two neurons together. So I talk about synaptic transmission um, and then the plasticity associated with synaptic transmission. One of the most incredible things about the nervous system is its adaptability its ability to change depending on what just happened and so we talk a lot about plasticity at the synapse or neuro excitability so that's my teaching second year when i started my teaching it was doing second year class i still hear from people who took my class <laughs> um i meet a lot of brown alum now and um that's just great uh so there's this, this, this continuity that I find to be really wonderful as a professor 
you know, even though, you know, someone may have been in my class, you know, close to 30 years ago now, they'll show up at graduation and they'll say, hey, Professor Lipscomb, remember me? I took your class in 1994. <laughs> so like, there's, this, there's a sense of, oh, wow, that, that, that must have had an impact somewhere, even though they're not neuroscientists now. Like that, that's meaningful. That, that affects people for their whole life. So that's, they're the things I teach. Um, I do graduate level teaching now as well, um, and also one-on-one mentorship. Well, now talking about the famous open curriculum, could you briefly describe uh-huh. how the open curriculum works and how do you think it impacts students' studies of neuroscience? Sometimes called the new curriculum, <laughs> even though um, it was developed back in 1969. It's transformative. I, I sometimes think of it as like this broad base uh, ability to come in as a first year and just take a whole range of different courses, right? So that's one aspect of it. There's many different aspects to the open curriculum, but that's one. So, so there's no core. There's no, there's no set sequence in terms of what like you're coming in as a first year, you're going to do these classes. So how do you how do you decide that as a first year? And and isn't one of the principles of going to an incredible place like Brown, wherever you go, that the courses that you take must influence your decisions in the future? That has to be fundamental to an education. Otherwise, we failed as educators. It makes so much sense to have this broad base experiment. Um, You know, a lot of students I know, they'll take eight different classes as first years in eight different departments. You know, how cool is that? (laughs) And and there are first year seminars where it's like 20 students. It's kind of an introduction, an appetizer to a particular question or topic. And then from there, you know, as a second year, you go in and say, well, you know, I like this. I wasn't sure about this I liked everything but like how do I decide (laughs) and then you begin by a process of perhaps elimination you know focusing a little bit more and then taking some higher level classes and at the end of the second year most um well you have to so undergrad you like declare your concentration at Brown is it's not major it's a concentration And then you get an advisor within your concentration, but there's still a lot of uh, options to take courses, you know, in other departments. And so we encourage that. And so as a concentration advisor, I'm always interested in what are the other classes that that my advisees are taking and thinking how they actually connect with neuroscience in, in really interesting and unique ways. Of course, within any concentration, and these varies, um, there are courses one must take, and there's a sequence in which you must take them. But that's 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 about fifty percent of the classes that you've got another fifty percent that you're really in charge of, um, and and you can design your own time at Brown, your your four year experience in ways that I don't think you could ever possibly imagine as a first year, right? So so it's that independence and that and that ability to work across departments, and then courses at Brown are offered that are cross listed. And that's also part, an important piece of, of the open curriculum. And that's, a, that's actually something that a lot of my colleagues really want. They want their class to be course, cross-listed with other departments because like, they want to appeal. They want to bring in students with different perspectives into the class because 
wow, that's richness, right? You can't plan that as a professor. It's one person. But, but the magical things happen when you're, you know, you're in class and you're engaging the students who are in class. And now you've got this wealth of perspective, which is just fun and exciting. And you just don't know where that's going to take you. So I think that there's so many other things to say about the open curriculum, but I, I perhaps should contrast that with my own education. That was in the United Kingdom many years ago in London. I had one class that I could, it was an elective in my whole, well, there's three years, one. And I, <laughs> and I chose organic chemistry. Go figure. <laughs> okay. What? Well, well, I didn't know. Like, I, what, what else would I take? So I took organic chemistry in a science, three years of science. I feel like I'm also, as a professor, really benefiting from <laughs> the open curriculum at Brown, as well as the students, of course, are. Um, but I, re I really think it just keeps giving in ways that that, that is hard to imagine. So, yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> Yeah, I love how like you talk about how it really gives you the freedom to kind of explore and different topics that you might not have thought you would have explored. What does your current neuroscience research focus on and what topics have you researched in the past? So currently, my research is probably on about four different kind of key areas. So one is, I'm fairly new to this field, but I have a project on um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS. And this is a dreadful disease for which there are almost no treatments and certainly not life-saving treatments. The reason I got into this area was really, I, a number of my colleagues said, you know, you, oh, I didn't know that you had the skills to do, look at the nerve muscle junction <laughs> functionally. And I said, yeah, I can do that. And so I entered the field and then I got to meet so many amazing scientists and so many um, physician scientists who day in and day out see patients and they can't help them. But like the problem, we've known about the problem for years. We know what neurons are degenerating. How do we not kn know what the origin of that is? And so it seemed to me such an important um, area of need, working with incredible colleagues um, and then using the skill set that I have in my group to be able to, you know, take on one small piece of, of the mystery and trying to make headway or, or advance our understanding of this disorder. So that's one of the projects. The other, on a, a different end of the spectrum, is collaborating with a colleague at Brown, Chris Moore, and we are designing new molecules in collaboration with colleagues in California and also in Michigan to detect an ion that I've worked on for years, um, calcium, which is a really important second messenger in the nervous system. And we are very interested in um, building new molecules to be able to detect when calcium signals go up inside neurons. And so we're using bioluminescence as a, as a readout of, of calcium. That's a second project. The main theme of my lab for many years has been looking at ion channels it was where I started my my research but particularly looking at calcium ion channels and so that is the ion channels in the cells in all cells 
that pass calcium ions um, to the exclusion almost of sodium ions and other ions. And that, when that calcium enters the cell, it's this second messenger and it just drives responses, all kinds of responses inside the nervous system. And so I have studied those channels for years and years and we became very interested in the role of those channels in the pain pathway. I'll end there and just tell you very quickly, and a main thrust of my lab is to understand what happens during chronic pain. So a lot of individuals suffer from chronic pain. I mentioned earlier about the ability of the nervous system to adapt and to have, to have plasticity. Chronic pain is kind of a plasticity mechanism that went wrong. <laughs> You know, the nervous system remodeled in response to an injury, but it never went back to normal. Um, and so I'm really interested in that remodeling and why in certain individuals there's not a reverse back to the normal state. And why is it that certain individuals continue to feel pain even long, long time after an injury? This is devastating. And so I, we have a lot of evidence that at least part of the mystery has to do with the... Um, properties of the calcium ion channels that, that are expressed and altered um, during that remodeling event. And so we're studying calcium ion channels in those pathways and particularly during events that um, trigger kind of chronic episodes of abnormal uh, type of pain that afflicts so millions of people um, in this country and certainly many more worldwide. They're the three areas that I work in. Yeah, that's really interesting because your research seems like especially applicable and very rewarding. So now we're going to go back to the typical Brown University student. And we were wondering how you would describe a typical Brown University student and the culture on campus. And what qualities would you say successful neuroscience undergraduates have at Brown? I'm going to I'm going to sidestep your question. <laughs> I'm going to reword your question. It's like, I don't, I can't think of a typical Brown student and that's what I love about Brown. <laughs> I think that everyone is an individual. Everyone can be an individual. Everyone can carve their own path. And so it's the individuality I feel is this, is this critical and important piece of, 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 a, of, of Brown and the embracing of different backgrounds, different ways of thinking about a problem and, and the, the diversity on campus just just great so i so i don't think about a typical brown student i think about the this richness um of the of the students on campus and along with that i would say that that willingness and that openness to listening to different perspectives on campus i i value and i embrace and i just think that that's that's just incredible and again reflective of and driven by the 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 energy and the individuality of the of the undergraduates who are on campus if i think about how you how you move through this really complicated world and how you make decisions and it's just like just be open to to new ideas and new perspectives but follow your passion and don't look at what other people are doing because that's not you um, so be yourself and strive for excellence in everything that you do. So I think that that's critical. But also recognize that there are a lot of people around who can give a lot of advice. And so seek that out when you need to. But in the end, 
follow you know follow what you think is what you need to do to be to be um satisfied to to be successful you know i i feel that that you have to have that freedom and you've got to have that space but you also need to sample do a lot of data sampling <laughs> get, get get as much information as you possibly can be really open to it but then be selective about what it is that you're like yeah like i you know i know what i like i know what makes me happy i know you know what what's what's going to be my passion and this is i'm going to go for that and i'm going to find everybody that i can to su support me in that and if someone's not supporting me in it i'm just gonna go find someone else <laughs> like i think like you it's that individual know yourself don't worry about what everyone else is doing yeah, I think that's such a great message and I'm sure anyone listening will take that into consideration and it'll be really helpful. So what advice do you have for high school students listening to this podcast? So I think for high school students, the wonderful thing about neuroscience is that there's so many different uh, ways that you can approach neuroscience. So you could, you could do engineering, mathematics, um, psychology, um, interested in mechanism, molecular level, genetics, cellular, electrophysiology. Like there's just so many different ways to approach really interesting and tantalizing questions in neuroscience. So uh, I guess my advice to high school students is to really think about that. What are some of the burning questions in, in terms of like, how does our brain work? What happens when it goes wrong? How do we think about some of these problems? You know. I, there there's so many devastating disorders and many of them, many of them um, have their origins in some dysfunction and some problem in the nervous system, like addiction, um, depression, Alzheimer's, autism, developmental disorders, like just there's so many, the brain defines us as who we are. You know, it's everything that we become. It's everything that we think. It's all the decisions we make. Then we accumulate all of this, these memories over a lifetime. So it's just it, incredibly fascinating. So I would just tell high school students, think about the enormous um, power and capacity of the brain, but then try and hone in on what are some questions that you have and then really try to think about those. Um, you know, as you're beginning to apply to college and, um, and have some compelling, you know, set of, of, of reasons why, yeah, this is why I want to do this, but also keep an open mind. I talked about that before, but I do think that that's really important. Um, and know that college is going to change you. <laughs> you know, you, you may come in with a certain set of notions and ideas and you'll be so much richer afterwards. So be, so be aware of that too. But it's a great area. <laughs> a very exciting area to be in. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. So that wraps up our questions for you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us for the College Neuro Network. Your responses were so insightful and they will definitely help any high school students who are listening and who are researching colleges who are interested in either minoring or majoring in neuroscience. So thank you so much. You're both very welcome. Mm -hmm.